you too could have a happy family. I got this frame at Walmart, and it came with a picture. Isn't that nice? .org. No, it's, it's good, to, good to see you here. Um, hey, if you're new to Bergen Park Church, we are a community of people who desires to worship God daily, to follow Jesus, and we want to seek to love our neighbor. And so if that's a passion, a commitment that you want to join us in, we'd love for you to, to press in. You can meet with Kate over in the Connect Center. We'd love to have an opportunity to connect you into the community. You know, what makes church church, as Lauren described, it's not just Sunday morning. If this is all we're doing, then we're really not going to experience the full measure of God's presence and power. I mean, you read the book of Acts, you read the Bible, and it's not just one person, right, kind of in our little study. It's God working through people who have a passion for his glory and a passion for who he is. And then we move out in the world with this combined resources together of people and gifts and finances and resources coming together all for the glory of God. It's beautiful. Now, it's hard, right? It's hard to get a group of people together. If you're in leadership, you know what it's like to kind of move everybody together. But see, we have a God who leads us in the Holy Spirit that guides us, and so we want you to be a part of that. And if you haven't pressed in, please speak to us. Uh, someone shared this week with me and said, you know, do people know that your door is open? My door is open. And so if you didn't know, please come and speak to us. If you're going through challenges, issues, we are here for you as a staff. We're here for you as elders and leaders. We love you, and we wanna walk and share life together with you. Hey, today we're going to be in a couple of places. If you want to turn there, Genesis chapter 1. It's going to be in Genesis 1 and 3, also in Colossians chapter 3. So if you want to kind of put your fingers in those places so you can find them. We've been going through this series, as you can tell, on idolatry. And idolatry is to define the sin beneath the sin. Why do we do what we do? And we sometimes look at our life and we see all the things that are leading us astray. And they're on the surface of our life, but we don't ask the question, what's, what's going on beneath the surface? You know, we think of money, and money is not the root of all evil, it's the love of money, right? It's what we think money can give us, and so we've been going through this series trying to discover what's going on beneath, and we look at idolatry in two different ways. There's heart idolatry, and we see this in Ezekiel 14. Ezekiel talks about heart idols, and he says, Ezekiel 14, 4, Therefore, speak to them, God speaking to Ezekiel, and say to them, thus says the Lord God, anyone of the house of Israel who takes, notice, an idol into his heart. That idols, we tend to think of statues of wood and stone that are carved that we bow down to and worship as a reflection, but an idol is more than that. It's something we take into our hearts. And what it does is it comes into your heart and it makes promises, I'm gonna care for you, right? I'm gonna comfort you, I'm gonna guide, give you security. Just take me into your life. And we base our life on them and we start to look to them to give us what God says he alone can give. And so we have this issue of heart idolatry. But we also have cultural idols, do you know that? Every nation, every culture, every city, every town like Evergreen, there are idols that our community holds up and says, if you have this, if you look like this, if you wear this, if you drive this, if you ski like this, I watch them, I don't ski like that, then you're significant. And every community, and every little tribe, that's why we get in our own tribes, right? We got little tribes. And that little tribe has an idol, and if I fit into that community, now I feel strong. 
I feel significant. And there's nothing wrong with those communities. There's nothing wrong with gathering together. But sometimes those things seep into your heart and they're subtle. And we don't even know we have a problem, but we're looking to something to give us what God says, listen, I want to give you. And I want to give this to you in relationship with me. Not in isolation, not just using God, but instead God wants to come in and be a part of that with us. And so we need to search, one, our culture and what's going on around us, and then we need to search our heart and bring that to the Father. And see, Paul describes in Romans 1, and we looked at this the first week, the challenge of idols. And the challenge is how subtle idols are that what happens is we suppress God in our life. We don't even know where we're doing it. But Paul says in Romans 1, we suppress the truth of God and then we, we replace God, which means that we're always worshiping something. It's not as if you have a category or button, which is no worship, right? I'm just not worshiping. There's nothing that I'm seeking, glorifying. No, we're created to worship. That's the heart of what we are as human beings. And we set our heart on something. So Romans 1, verse 21, Paul says this, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But instead, they became futile in their thinking, and their hearts were darkened. And then in verse 25, he unpacks what that means. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever praised. The knowledge of God is out there, and what I want to do is I want to be in control. I want to define good and evil for myself. I want to determine the trajectory and the purpose of my life. And so what we do is we suppress the truth. God, I got this. That's the lie that I got this. And then we look out to something in creation to replace God with, to give us strength and power and ability. And so today, we're going to look at an idol none of you struggle with, I'm certain. It's the idol of image. It's the idol of identity. What do we project to the world. And here's, if you pull up that iceberg image, the idol of image is a surface idol. It's something that we project to the world because, see, I don't want you to see me for who I am. Right? Wouldn't that be odd? What if there, I know some people have cameras in their house. I think that's just nuts that people do that kind of thing and invite people in their life. But no one, none of us want others to see us in those vulnerable moments. And have you been seen in one of those vulnerable moments? You know, you lost it in front of a group of people or you cried and you never cry or what happens? You feel naked, don't you? Why is that? Because there's something about us that wants to, you know, cover, protect. I want to show you the best of me. I want you to see me through my degrees and my accomplishment and my money and my skiing abilities and my beautiful kids and my beautiful vacations on Instagram. I want you to see, you, see me the way that that I want to present myself to you. And when we get exposed, right, when someone's like kind of looking around the corner and then they see you in that moment and you realize somebody's looking at me, how do you feel? What is that? Why is it as human beings we, we need to protect ourselves and we need to hide? Well, let's play a little experiment. You know, this is a beautiful room of beautiful people. And just a moment ago, we all greeted each other. And you guys looked happy. I mean, this is a room full of just happy Christians, right? You came in here today and you're elated. 
you're just so happy and there's no challenges in your life. I mean, you greet it and you're like, hey, how's it going? I'm doing great. Life is awesome. Things are sweet. We didn't argue on the way over here. I mean, anyone want to raise hands? I'm, no, it's okay. You don't have to. Well, it's, but we do. And why is that? Because when you come into this room, there's expectations, right? Come on. There's expectations. The socially awkward don't follow the expectations. They're just being themselves, but they walk in and they're just totally honest and they kind of, kind of vomit their life on us. And the rest of us, we walk in and we say, no, 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 I want you to know that I'm happy and things are good. And, and we want to present this image. We want to compel each other. We don't even know that we're doing it half the time. But it's just a part of humanity. It's this idol of image, and we put so much energy into it. And the question is why? And the reality is with all idols, idols are not necessarily bad things. Now realize most of the things that God has created, he created good. Achievement is good. God doesn't want us to be lazy. Wealth is good. It's significant to build something. That's good. But what happens when, hey, I'm significant because I have this. It takes the place of God, and a good thing becomes a God thing. And your image, realize you were created to share an image with the world. Your image is a good thing, but it's been distorted. And you live in a culture with brilliant marketing people who are selling you not products. They're not even selling you politics. They're selling you an image of what it means to be this kind of person. And here's what we do. We drink it up. Come on. We drink it up and we receive it. And we think because we have this, because we look like this, we're significant. Where does that come from? That's where we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 1. Because in Genesis chapter 1, and by the way, uh, can you pull up that picture of the video cover, the image of God? If you want a little summary on this, if you've got a Bible study, this is by the Bible Project. Bible Project produces some great, simple videos. And this is about a five-minute video. We're not going to watch this today. But if you want to go back and get some review, uh, excellent, excellent resource. So you can use that. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1, because there is something we are created to image. And so in Genesis chapter 1, realize in Genesis 1 and 2, are origin story narratives. There's, in Genesis 1 and 2, they almost tell the same kind of story. But Genesis 1 is very poetic. When you read Genesis 1, you know the language is different than Genesis 2. Genesis 2 is narrative. But Genesis 1 is written in this very creative way. We don't always see it in the English. You have to kind of get in the original language to see the depths of it. But it's a poetic picture, and it asks this question. Where did all this come from? It's an important question that all human beings answer. We look around and say, where does this come from and what's its purpose? And more importantly, maybe for us, where did I come from and what's my purpose? And that's what Genesis 1 primarily is trying to answer. And it does it through a very unique set of poetry. Genesis 1 really is a very long poem in different places. We're going to see that in verses 26 through 28. So watch this, 26. Genesis 1, 26. And God said, let us make man, and here's that word, in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds 
of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let's pray. Father, you are here. And Father, we are here. Help us to acknowledge your presence and Lord, through the power of the Spirit that inspired the words of Christ, inspired the word of God that lives in us. Transform us and change us as we look upon the glory of the Lord in the face of Christ Jesus. Meet us here, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Bible says you are uniquely created. Nothing else in creation. And Genesis 1 is created in the image of God. We're supposed to reflect God. Now, as you survey humanity, how are we doing? As you survey your home, how are we doing? What, what are you, if you looked at your life and said, what is this a reflection of? And not in a way that brings shame. We're not bringing shame. We're just noticing. What am I imaging? Where am I getting my comfort, my security, my power, my control? What's, what's feeding my life? Humanity is supposed to image God, but when you look out of humanity, it's, it's a mess, isn't it? People vying for power and control, fighting with one another, lies, deceits. People don't own what they do. How often do we do something, we're just like, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, it's no big deal. I don't have to repair a relationship. I don't have to correct things. We just go about our business because I'm imaging myself. And I've got to be who I need to be. But God says in Genesis 1, we're intended to reflect the character of God. And we see it in this story. We're not going to get too deep in what it actually means to be in the image of God, but you see some hints. You see it in verse 26. He said, let us make man in our image, in the image of God he created him after our likeness, and let them have dominion. One aspect of being created in the image of God is that we are to rule as God would rule. God's created everything, and we're supposed to reflect the way that God would do it. How would God do sexuality? That's how we're supposed to do it. How would God do money? How would he organize cities? How would he do relations? How would he do money? How would he do relationships? How, how would God do that? We are to have dominion, which means God's given you authority. He's given you authority to go out into the world and to be a reflection of not your kingdom, but a reflection of, of his kingdom. And then he unpacks that a little bit more in verses 27. And then in 28, he says, one of the ways you're going to do this is I want that dominion not just right here, but I want it to spread. So you can imagine as God created these human beings to be in perfect relationship with him, to bring his way of doing things. And they're in this little garden, right? And what happens? They start multiplying. And they're supposed to take God's presence and God's power and God's values all across the globe so that as we look from place to place, all of it is reflecting the character of God. Now that project... It kind of broke down someplace along the way that as you look around creation, you don't see the character of God. You see a lot of 
individual idols and ways of doing things and people fighting against people. But see, in verse 27, we unpack more and more what this looks like to be in the image of God. And we're gonna dive a little bit into Hebrew. I hope that's okay, because this is an important word to study. But in verse 27, I want you to notice that verse 27, it looks different than the rest of the passage, right? Do you notice that? It's, it's actually a poem. And it's a poem that's in parallel. And when something's in parallel in poetry, each line is really saying the same thing, but with a different nuance. And so it says, God created man. Now, does that mean women as well? Well, realize each line is defining the other. God created him. And you may think he, him is just men. No, it's humanity. Sometimes Adam means Adam. Sometimes it means men. But sometimes it just means humanity. And see, God has created us as male and female in the image of God. And men and women reflect God's character in similar ways, but also in very unique and distinct ways. And so each one of us created in the image of God is to reflect him. And this idea, realize, has really influenced Western society. It's influenced our nation, the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights. Where does that come from? It's the idea that every human being has dignity and value because they're created in the likeness and the image of their creator. Now, one of my favorite theologians is a guy named Michael Byrd, and he, here's how he kind of unpacks this idea of being created in the image of God. Here's what he says. The image of God, this status, notice he says, is it's a gift given to humanity from which springs a vocation. A vocation means a calling. And our calling is to represent God to the world. Notice, not ourselves, not our tribes, not even our nation, but to represent God. The imago is more like an identity, a God-given foundational reality out of which we understand ourselves as belonging to God, and we understand ourselves as distinguished, different from the rest of creation. That God has given us dominion to rule and to reflect his nature on his behalf. Now, this is where we're going to jump a little into the Hebrew. I want to teach you the Hebrew word for image. And it's this word, and if you can pull up that next Genesis passage, Genesis 1.27, it's this word, selim. So God created man in his own selim. In the selim of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And here's a picture of what a selim is. This is the most common reference to a selim in Hebrew. And you see this throughout the Old Testament when image, idol comes up. It's the word that God uses here for us. We are a selim of God. Now, what is a selim? It's a statue. It's a representation. It's an image. It's a likeness. And God said something about making these. What did he say? Are we supposed to make these or are we not supposed to make these? Don't do it. Exodus chapter 20. So if you go to Exodus 20, God said, watch out, guys. These things have power. He says in, in Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And then in the second command, he unpacks that. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a tzalem, an image, a likeness of anything that is in heaven, meaning God, or that is on the earth beneath 
or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down and worship them. So understand, he's not saying you can't create art and statues. He's saying don't create something that represents God or represents a deity and then worship it. Because that's very common. Have you noticed across the world? You go into temples. What do you find? You find a tzelem. There's a statue. Some religions, they have these little places, and they have a tzelem. And they'll worship this image. Do you know in, our, in the temple in Judaism, it was interesting in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed, and, and they tore everything down, and they came in, and you know what they were looking for? They came into the temple, these soldiers, and they're like, okay, we're going to see what this God of the Hebrews looks like. And so they bust into the Holy of Holies, and they're like, where is he? He's next to you. Look around. You want to know what God is like? In part, look at the people around you. The people around you are creating the image of God. The reason God says don't make an image is we're it. You're the statue. You're the representation. You are in the holy of holies. You are the place where God's presence dwells that goes out into the world and says, this is what our God is like. It's not a statue. It's not something we burn incense around. It's, it's us. So if you want to know God to an extent, you just have to look at the people he has created. Now, if you go back to that statue, this is actually in the British Museum. And this was a very famous statue. If you can put that back up, it's of a man who was the leader of the Assyrian Empire in like 608 uh, BC. And he extended that empire further than any other empire at that time had become. And what he did was, as you walked into every city and around every public place, there were thousands of these, Zellums. And his name was Ashurbanipal. So that when you were in his kingdom and you would walk around and say, where am I? I'm lost. Oh, this is the kingdom of Assyria. I know where I am because he's a reflection of that kingdom. And so likewise, as we look around, we see human beings, we're supposed to see a reflection of God's character, God's people. And the church is supposed to be that reflection to the world of what God's kingdom looks like. That's how we pray, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in evergreen as it is in heaven. That we are supposed to be a reflection of, of the God that loves us and that we, that we worship. And this is also, I'm gonna share something with you. This is also a tzelem. If you could put that picture up. And this is a very important tzelem to me. Now, as you can tell, we've grown a little bit and, and I, I didn't find, hun, I didn't find the picture I was looking for, so I'll use this one, hope that's okay. This is one of my favorite tzelems of people that I, I love. Because, see, when I look at this, I, I don't think of ink and paper. I think of my wife. I think of my boys. I think of an experience that we had together. And see, this, this selim, this image, it perfectly reflects the people that I love. Now, how weird would it be if, you know, I just carried this around and talked to Melissa this way? Hey, hon, what are we going to have for lunch? And, guys, a house school going? And I didn't look at my family it would be so weird because I would be looking at a representation. This picture would no longer function, right, correctly. It would function as an end in itself, but it's a reminder. And see, what happens is we start creating identity, and we become an end in ourselves. 
And we're kind of talking to ourselves. It's kind of like looking at a picture and not recognizing. It's supposed to reflect something that's beautiful and great and powerful, but instead it's become an end in itself. And see, that's what's gone wrong with this, with this experiment, that we've become the center instead of God being the center. And our image becomes more important than God's image, right? It's why we don't forgive each other. Why? I'm not going to forgive that creep. I'm not going to love the way that God loves. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't know who you are. You've become a, a piece of paper with ink. You've forgotten where your value, your dignity comes from, is that you're reflecting the character of God. And see, when we refuse to kind of follow God's ways, we're kind of saying, no, I'm God, Right? I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to define good and evil for myself. And that's the story of Genesis 3. So let's now go to Genesis 3, because that's what happened. We're supposed to be a reflection of God's character, but instead we become fractured. We become broken, and instead of reflecting God, we start reflecting ourselves. And we see this in the story of Genesis 3, and we'll pick it up in verse 6, and we'll see what happens when we pull away from reflecting God. Genesis 3, 6. And it says, so when the woman saw that the tree, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, was good for food. And it looked good. It was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree, notice what it says, was desired to make one wise. Ah, I can rise above God. God's holding out on you. Have you ever felt that way? Why is he keeping me from this? I want to be wise. I want to be like God. And humanity looks at creation and says, I can rise above this. I can be myself. I can be wise. And so what did she do? She took it. God said, don't eat of the knowledge of good and evil. Instead, trust my definitions. Trust me. I created you. I know you. I know what is right. I know what is wrong. What we said is, no, I want to define it for myself. I want to course my own path, right? I, I want to determine who I am. And she ate, and she gave it to her husband who was with her. And notice, and then the eyes of both were opened. And what's the first thing they saw? How beautiful the world is? How great life is? They saw their shame for the first time. I'm naked. Now, they were naked before. What's the difference? And now I need to cover myself. Because now you see me. And you're not seeing a reflection of God. My dignity, my value is not coming from the fact that, listen, I'm imperfect, but I'm not God. How many of us try to hide those imperfections and those weaknesses instead of admitting and taking ownership? We hide and we cover. And that's exactly what they did. They were naked and ashamed. And the reason that Genesis, 6, uh, Genesis 3 uses this is we see the same language in chapter 2, in Genesis 2, 25. And it says, and the man and the wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Why? Because they had God as their covering. I know that I'm not a reflection of myself. I'm a reflection of him, and I am beautiful in my uniqueness and wonderful in his sight. And then sin comes in, and instead of seeing the beautiful nature of who you are in God's sight, you see where you fail. Man, I'm not as tall. I'm not as strong. I'm a little fat. I'm not as bright. I'm not as wealthy. I'm not. What happens is because now you're, you're looking at the ego, and the ego is never satisfied. Have you seen, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy? The ego, it's constantly, if you haven't seen it, it's okay. <laughs> You're missing the illustration. It's, 
I'm lost it. But anyways, it's constantly sucking in other worlds and other planets because it's never satisfied. But see, when you're creating the image of God, you're created to reflect God in the way that he's made you, and you're satisfied in that. And then what happens? Verse 7, let's go back to chapter 3. The eyes of both were open. They saw that they were naked. And what happened? I need to project an image to you. Now, all they had, they didn't have Nike and Giorgio Mani and million-dollar homes and, and cars and all of that. What did they have? Fig leaves. That's about all they had. And they started sowing these, these fig leaves because now I need to protect my image. I can't let you see me. And you felt that. The strongest person in here has felt that. And that's why you're strong. Your strength is a way of hiding, isn't it? I don't want people to see my brokenness. I don't, and we hide that instead of bringing it to God. Because see, if you don't bring it to God and allow him to heal it, then you're really never gonna reflect God. You're just gonna reflect, can I be honest, your brokenness into the world. And you know what that looks like? It doesn't look like this beautiful photo, okay? Which means a lot to me. It kind of looks like, what we look like today is like this photo. Now, this is a lovely couple. I got this at Walmart if you're looking for this frame. <laughs> you too could have a happy family. I got this frame at Walmart and it came with a picture. Isn't that nice? I mean, they, he's got, you can't tell, he's got a fishing pole in the background. I guess they're camping and they look quite well-dressed for camping, but they're camping, and they're happy. And they put this photo in there. Now, the question is, would you, if you bought this, would you hang this on your wall in your living room? Would you have it in your kitchen? And No, because the image that sell them doesn't mean anything to you. It doesn't point anywhere, does it? Now, unless the image was really, really meaningful to you in some way, you, you wouldn't use it because it doesn't have that reference point, right? Not, not like this one. I know what this reflects. But see, all this picture can reflect is itself. And that's what humanity becomes. We become a reflection of ourselves. And can you imagine what it's like to have six billion of these? It's called sin all across the world saying, look at me, 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 look at me. And we're all saying that to each other. None of us are looking at each other, right? Do you realize how empty that becomes? How futile, how dark and dangerous and we're just trying to exert our own power. And we often do that image through our own brokenness, through our own sinfulness, through what we're trying to project to the world. And this becomes a reflection. It becomes a reflection of, of who we are. And the majority of our time, honestly, is spent finding different fig leaves. Because my fig leaves tell a story about me. And your fig leaves tell a story about you. And we look out in the world and our culture and the way that our society is formed is a beautiful way of creating more fig leaves. Hey, guys, here's a new kind of fig leaf. Oh, I didn't know they had that fig leaf. This is a great fig leaf. I need that fig leaf because mine isn't enough. And there's different body types of fig leaves now and different ways of eating. Are you an iPod? Oh, no, iPod. I'm sorry. That's an old iPhone. I'm an Android. I'm an iPhone. You know, I'm Converse. I'm Nike. This becomes a way of, a, I'm organic. Are you fair trade organic? Is it, and there's nothing wrong with buying that, but it becomes an identity. This is my group, right? No, I'm processed food. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Doesn't sound as good. 
but all of that stuff, isn't it crazy? And you know this, what's happening, right? And then you go to a bigger level. I mean, media, news, what is it, guys? It's fig leaves. There's some substance there. It's not saying all of it's meaningless, but it's a way of clothing yourself. It's a way of finding a tribe, an identity. We need to be outraged about the right things. You're not outraged about the right things. That's not, not, not the right group. And we put all this stuff on, but it, all it does is draw attention to ourselves, and it doesn't kind of bring out to all of creation the character of, of God, does it? It doesn't. What we are, we become a hall of mirrors. I'm going to show you a few pictures. We become a hall of mirrors. Have you been to a hall of mirrors? And now you look at that, and you know it's distorted, right? But when we look at ourselves through our money, we think we look right. But to God, we're distorted. We look at our clothes and our body type and the way that we engage with the world. And what we see is, oh, this is beautiful. Now I'm impressing people. But it's not the right reflection. It's not what we're supposed to reflect. But we look at it, it seems right. But from God's perspective, he's like, something's wrong. And we start to feel it. I want to share a, just a short testimony with you. I found this on YouTube. Nothing, I don't know the guy. I just thought it was so good. I want to share this with you as an example, and then we're going to jump into the gospel and conclude. And so, so watch this as an example of what this looks like. My name is Brian, and this is my story. When I was 21 years old, I started a modeling career that took me to New York City for 10 years of my life. Well, I've modeled for Banana Republic, Abercrombie Fitch, Calvin Klein, George Romani, Gap. They also had opportunity to work alongside Kate Moss, Ashton Kircher, um, Chrissy Turlington, Tyson Bedford, and a couple other high fashion models. If you're with sort of the top modeling agencies, everything is handed to you on a silver platter. Um, you were invited to all the biggest parties for free. You would meet celebrities and um, bump shoulders with, you know, high-powered people in the, in the industry. I realized that your image is what's going to get you your next job. Also, your image is going to get you in front of the right people. That's going to help promote your career. So you find out what your shortcomings are. Our agent would even tell us you're not good looking enough. There's things about you that, are, that aren't desirable. When you're not getting jobs, you really take that criticism to heart. You start playing in your head, well, maybe I'm not getting these jobs because of these subtle imperfections. And you try as hard as you can to either correct the issue or cover it up. You get very insecure, and, um, and then vice versa. If you know that there's a quality that people like about you, let's say you have a great smile, you start obsessing about it. So it's just destructive because it's not, it's just, it's all false. While I was modeling, I would always try to remember that you have to be concerned about what God thinks of you and not what anyone else thinks of you. And when I was, had that, when I was meditating upon that, it would definitely help me uh, to stay focused and sort of dispel or the lies that, that you would hear. And I think we should all have a proper perspective of ourselves and the fact that we're all you know, beautiful in God's eyes. I think where it goes wrong is when we start putting too much value, too much emphasis on us and how we are towards the world. 
And are you getting your self-image from those around you, your peer group, your parents, or are you getting your self-image from what does God think of me? Um, so it's a battle. In any, any industry or any job that we're in, we're always battling what do people think of me and how am I being perceived from others. And it's tough to live to constantly live up to. It's almost like you got this pressure to, to keep it up. I got to keep myself looking good in front of others. And I'm telling you, that's tiring after a while. Um, whereas it's, I think it's more, it's a lot easier just to say, all right, let me do those things that God would be pleased in and try to please the make, my maker. And that's it. Just worry about that one 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 person. I wonder how many of you can relate to that feeling of just being tired. I'm just so tired of trying to pretend to be somebody else. See, the story of the gospel is the story of, of image. Do you know how often Jesus is called the image of God? And the story of the Bible starts with an image that's supposed to reflect God, and then what happens is it becomes fractured. We still reflect God, but not the way that he designs. And so what did God do? Did he just leave these broken mirrors? Fend for themselves? Let them reflect what they want? No, they sent, he sent the perfect image of God. Sent Jesus. And Jesus didn't come and say, hey, get your act together. Because that's what idols do. Idols say achieve, 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 achieve. He said, receive, 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 receive me. And he took all the brokenness and all the images and all the power and all the comfort, and you know what he did? He absorbed it on the cross. That he, the perfect image of God, took our sin upon himself. Why? So that he could come in and he could start to heal that reflection. And he could start to mold and that we would start to be become, to be made into the image of our creator. That he would change us so that we could now be fruitful and multiply and bring dominion to all the earth, that God would cover the earth with his presence through us. Do you realize how amazing that is? So let me close with Colossians chapter 3, because we see this story of image in, in the gospel. In Colossians 3, verse 9. Colossians 3, 9. And, and do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image, that's Jesus, of its creator. Now, isn't it interesting that he says, don't lie? Why do we lie? To present an image. To project an image. To protect an image. Why are we lying? If we're in Christ, we don't need to lie. Because you need to sometimes tell yourself, that's not my identity. That's not my identity. That's not what I'm supposed to reflect. And it's okay. Not in shame, guys. This is about being honest about where you are. God, that's not what I want to reflect. I want to reflect you. And Jesus Christ came, and we have to put away deceitfulness and lying, because lying's a way of protecting, isn't it? It's a way of pushing others away. Hey, I don't have any issues. I don't have any problems. I don't have any sins. I don't need to admit. I don't need to take ownership. That's humility. God opposes the proud. The only person that doesn't experience the grace of God are the proud. And so what would it look like for us to be healed 
and to go out into the world and to bring his presence. That's what Paul does in verses 12 through 13 and 14. He says, so because you've taken off the old self, verse 12, put on the new self. As God's, who am I? I'm chosen, I'm holy in God's sight. I'm dearly loved. And so put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds them together in perfect harmony. That's your role in creation. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We are so often taking on ourselves responsibilities that belong to God. And when we worship him through the gospel, what we do is we go out into the world, and this is what we look like. We are to be the fruit of the Spirit. What does that smell like? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, jealousy, self-control. This is our role in humanity, but what, what do we want? We want power. I don't want my role. I want your role. And maybe that's where you are this morning. That's called confession. Confession and repentance is just, God, I, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I think I need to be significant. Forgive me, Father. I, I want to take my role as one who reflects you. And then you know the beauty is? God gives you resources and skills and abilities and achievement and money to go reflect him to the world in a unique way that he's designed you to do. That's the freedom of the Christian life. But see, when we worship idols, we're enslaved. You think you're buying those clothes because they just look good. There's something deeper going on. We're enslaved. We're enslaved to the things that we worship. We don't even see it. We don't even know it. But if somebody takes it away from you, what happens? (laughs) Don't touch my idol. I will rage on you. I will explode on you because there's something underneath I think I need to cover. It's my fig leaf. Would you today, as we celebrate communion, just the first step of healing is to acknowledge, God, this is, this is my fig leaf. This is what I don't want you to touch. And, and then just to acknowledge that to him and then to allow Jesus to be that place of healing, to, to say he's sufficient. Listen, you're sufficient in Christ, in Christ alone. He's enough. The question is, will you trust his definitions or will you just make up your own? If you didn't grab the communion elements when you came in, I want to encourage you to do that. They're available. They're available up front. And so please, let's take the opportunity to grab those elements and prepare them. You can also find them in the back. And as we do, I don't know what God stirred up in you. I know as I studied this week, I felt convicted. (laughs) Convicted in the way I want to present myself and how that keeps me from really trusting, trusting in God. And so let's spend some time in reflection before we receive these these elements together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. And Jesus, you are the head of the body, the church. You are the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything you may be preeminent. Father, we thank you that our identity is not in what we can achieve, it's in what we receive. That from the very beginning you blessed us and you said to us, be fruitful, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, have these responsibilities, have these authorities, and yet we abandon those authorities for trinkets, for carved images. And so, Father, whatever fig leaves we've run to, we, we just acknowledge them. And through the power of the Holy Spirit that convicts, would you restore would you redeem us, Father? And for some of us, maybe to say for the first time, Father, accept me through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. I know I am a sinner in need of a Savior to make me right, to heal me. I know, Jesus, you died for me and rose again so that I might have the power of the Spirit of God dwelling in me. Father, we receive your healing and your restoration. That on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks. And he said, take and eat, for this is my my body broken for you. Let us receive it together. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup. He said this cup, it represents the new covenant that is established with God. Let's receive it together. some of you to come forward to be prayed for. God opposes the proud, but you know he gives grace to the humble. God goes where he's needed and wanted. Do you want more of God? I want to invite our prayer team to come forward. And if you know you're not placed and you just want to be prayed for, would you please, as, as we, we stand together, if you want to stand, and if you want to wait till after the service and then come up front, they are here for you. They want to pray for you. This is a moment for us to get right, our hearts right with God. And so if that's, if that's where you are, please receive that. Can you please stand with me? It's good to see you.